Measuring what matters, reducing risk by rethinking how we evaluate cybersecurity. That's the title of a new paper issued by SafeGov, which describes itself as a forum for IT providers and leading industry experts dedicated to promoting trusted and responsible cloud computing solutions for the public sector. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be speaking to two of the authors of the report, Karen Evans and Franklin Reeder. Karen, the one-time U.S. government de facto chief information officer, is national director of the U.S. Cyber Challenge. Frank is the founder and director of the Center for Internet Security and a former executive at the White House Office of Management and Budget, where Karen also worked when she oversaw government IT. I'm pleased to welcome both of you. Good to be here with Eric. We'll get to the details in a moment, but what's the elevator pitch on the paper? Glad you asked because we've been practicing it, trying to figure out how we explain what is a very dense subject to smart folks who may not be immersed in it. The problem we're seeking to address is what we hear increasingly, that the combination of policy guidance and and audit reports is causing the limited resources we have to protect our cyber systems to be spent on things that don't reduce risk. And rather than simply complain about that, we decided after some work that we had done earlier in the fall to attempt to develop a framework that would actually give both auditors and practitioners a basis for having a constructive conversation. The work really is in three pieces. First, we, shall we say, reintroduce or emphasize the concept of a secure baseline. That is, things that every organization ought to do before you even begin to develop about a risk framework. Think of it in terms of managing your own health. You should eat properly, drive safely, engage in safe sex, and have some basic immunizations, even if you're healthy and not particularly at risk. The second level of the work then encourages agencies to develop what we call an organizational cyber risk management framework, which then says, what are the things that the threats tell us and the characteristics of what we do tell us about how we may be particularly at risk in the sense that, for example, if you're running a nuclear power plant, you have a different set of concerns than if you're running a payroll system. And the risk management framework actually breaks down into nine areas of potential risk. And what we encourage organizations to do then is to develop a framework that allows them to develop a much more detailed plan that can actually be measured. Think of it again in terms of from a public health perspective higher risk populations where you might want to do more immunizations, you might want to have more frequent examinations, you might want to run far more detailed and and even expensive tests than you do for the general population. The last level of the proposal that we put forward is then the development of a risk management indicator, which is really a roll-up of the status of each of the areas identified in the framework. Again, if you think of the health metaphor, we all manage weight and blood pressure, but we take an overall look at our health. And again, if we're particularly at risk, we may be watching much more detailed indicators and monitoring them on a much more frequent basis than if we're not particularly at risk. What we're trying to do is put together work that is already very much underway. I mean, there are real live examples of organizations uh, at John Streifert's work at the Department of State, the work that the National Institute of Standards and Technology is doing around developing templates and revising its 853 document that we hope will then result in reducing risk and using the scarce resources we already have to make federal systems much more trustworthy and much less vulnerable. This could be all done without new legislation, correct? That's the intent of this paper. 
Our premise was exactly that. It's a follow-on to the work that Karen, uh, Jim Lewis, Alan Paller, and I did in the fall, which assumed that while the Congress continues to deliberate and it's uh, after a fashion, there are things that the executive already has ample authority to do. How would this approach differ from the guidance that is provided through FISMA, the Federal Information Security Management Act? What happens on an annual basis is, is that the Office of Management and Budget sends out a memo, tells the CIOs, these are the things that we're looking at, this is what we want you to report upon. And then part of that guidance also then goes specifically to the Inspector General, which talks about the evaluations that they're required to cover and what they're supposed to do under the requirements of FISMA. This particular report, what we're asking for and what we are recommending to OMB is, is that they do away with the top-level types of numbers that they're asking for from the inspector generals and really focus on some basic types of evaluations that need to be done and change that dynamic. For example, as we conducted our research, what happens when you ask for just a static set of numbers? That's exactly what they're asking for. How many systems have you looked at? How many systems are high, moderate, you know, moderate, high, and low? How many are owned by contractors? How many are managed by government? How many have their privacy impact assessments posted, records, all those things like that. So it's, it's all about the numbers. And there's a lot of resources that are spent trying to generate the numbers. But are those the right measurements to really reduce the security risk and to, to deal with the current threat that's facing the agency? So in this, and the first part of what Brian talked about, is we're really emphasizing this idea of a secure baseline, that everybody has to start from the same place and that the IGs need to baseline where the agency is against this target. And if the agency isn't there, then that becomes a challenge unto itself. And then the other thing is is that IGs measure one way and words mean one thing to the inspector generals. When those recommendations come back to the CIO, they interpret them differently. And so the other part of this is trying to get them to use a standardized approach so that the data means the data and that you're actually having a discussion about the findings and you can prioritize those findings to fix them in a way that then will reduce the risk for the agency. So what you want is the biggest bang for the buck. And the easiest way to explain this is, is if you run a FISMA evaluation today, if an IG runs it today, there really is no prioritization of the findings. They can go to the NIST publications and they can run an evaluation as long as they generate the numbers that OMB talks about. That means an agency could end up with 500 findings. And then what a CIO could do is look at that and say, well, I can fix 495 of those findings with the budget I have. Go through, fix them all. And so it looks like you only have five left, except those five could be the five that are actually 90% of your problem. They're the hardest ones to do. So if you just look at the numbers, it looks really good. If you look at the risk and the data, it's really bad. So we're trying to change that dynamic of what's being measured. One complaint I, I've heard from time to time from CISOs and CIOs about audits, whether IG or GAO, is that they're dealing more with the compliance issue and they're not necessarily looking at the cybersecurity. You know, you can or cannot be compliant, but at the same time, there are other things that these CISOs and CIOs say that they're doing to protect their agency's IT. Would this help deal with that problem? 
We're hearing exactly the same thing, and that's precisely what this framework is intended to address. When you talk to the IGs, some will say essentially they have no discretion. As Karen said, there are 500 items that they have to measure compliance with, and they don't feel empowered to exercise judgment about which is important and which isn't. The idea here is to get that question out there first so that indeed, and using Karen's example, the five that actually matter get fixed and we move away from what we would call cybersecurity by checklist. Agencies would still have to report regularly under the FISMA law. That doesn't change. But would what they be reporting be changed? And, and does, does the White House OMB have an authority to make those changes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, is that you're required by statute to report to Congress on an annual basis on the status of what's going on. And this is the part that Frank was talking about. What DHS is doing is the continuous monitoring and the diagnostic capability. So that's really trying to get real-time feedback based on your environment today. And here are the threats. Here's where you are. Here's the mitigating actions that you should be taking in accordance with that. Well, what you want to do then also is get IGs up to par so that, in essence, there's continuous evaluation. So if I see what the threat is, I take a mitigating strategy and I implement it, then you need the evaluation to be constant as well so that you can ensure that the actions that you're taking and the processes that you have in place, that they're adequate to manage that. So there's constant evaluation. And one of the things the paper does go into are the unintended consequences of policy. And this is a bone that I always bring this up, is that the OMB policy says at a minimum three years you have to do certain things or... The minute that the threat or a significant change has happened in your environment, when the policy was written, that still is an adequate statement for today. It's the implementation where people have said, well, I only have to do it every three years, period. They forget the or part, or if the threat has changed or the risk has increased. Now, if you look at what the constant environment is, the operating environment, the threat is ongoing. I mean, that's how they came up with advanced persistent threat. So if the threat is ongoing on a daily basis, that means you have to do evaluation and mitigation on a daily basis, if not hourly, if not automated, to the point of that's what everybody meant from continuous monitoring. But you have to have a method in order to evaluate the way that you are doing that is is adequate, right, is mature, is addressing the risk, and that it's happening on that basis. So what you want to do is change that dialogue and get the IDs into this constant evaluation mode the same way that the agencies are talking about continuous monitoring mode. What are you doing to try to get the government to adopt the recommendations you have? We didn't develop this report in the dark. While we don't assert that everybody that we talked to agrees with us, it was based on consultations with some of the people who are responsible for issuing the guidance as well as uh, other smart folks. We are hopeful that the guidance that OMB issues this spring will at least reflect consideration of the recommendations we've made. The good news is that uh, Karen and I are private citizens who have First Amendment rights. The bad news is all we have is a very small bully pulpit. So we hope to be constructive voices supporting efforts by the people who have the authority to make this happen. Uh, We'll continue to try to find examples, and I think there are many of folks who are doing it and getting it right, and the advantages a more risk-based framework actually provides. In this particular case, what we also did was go to the National Academy for Public Administration, which is out there, congressionally mandated, has senior fellows with great deep experience 
in in multiple areas dealing with public administration. And in this particular case, what we did was take the initial report and there was a panel that was convened and Earl Devaney chaired the panel for us. But Earl Devaney was an inspector general at Interior and then also ran the recovery board, which is all about a lot of audits and evaluations. We took the report to them to get their opinion from that public administration viewpoint about what needs to be done, the validity of the of the arguments. Did we analyze the problem appropriately, especially since we are focusing on how to change what is happening, as you talked about, between the chief information security officers and the inspector general so that they can complement and get to the same outcome versus seeming to be arguing over things all the time and that's not productive in helping the agency achieve what they need. Their review and their findings and their letter about the report is on the top as well. And there's a lot that the academy can do to help educate and reach out to the inspector generals about the concepts in here so that when, and I'm going to be optimistic, so that when the office of management but it embraces some of the concepts that are in here, that the IGs will be ready to take that handoff and go forward and implement them. You're talking about a short time frame, aren't you? You're, part of your recommendations is that a evaluation plan to OMB, I guess from the inspector generals, no later than May? Yeah, everybody looks at that and thinks, wow, that is really short. It's actually in order to affect the 2014 guidance. One of the big things that the NAPA panel of senior fellows talked about was workforce issues with the CIOs as well as with the inspector generals. And so that was their recommendation about making sure that you get this because implementation is going to be critical. You want to get implementation right. You want to be methodical about the implementation. And you want to make sure that IGs have the capabilities to do it. And if they don't, what are the gaps with the IG staff so that OMB can really talk to them about what's the best way to move forward, or do you phase it with a group of agencies and a group of IGs that have the capability? And that's why you wanted it in May, because the 2014 guidance is underway right now, since a lot of IGs are already starting their evaluations in order to gather the data of what they think OMB is going to ask for. And if OMB changes what they ask for, and you've already done your evaluation, now you've used two sets of resources. And IGs have limited resources as well. So you want to get ahead so that you can affect their resource planning as well. If there is to be some kind of FISMA reform legislation enacted this year, would these things be incorporated into that? Clearly, yes. We think there's ample authority in OMB's discretion in issuing FISMA guidance to adopt most of what we're suggesting. Clearly, reinforcing it in FISMA reform legislation would send a very strong signal. Any other thoughts? We're proposing a fairly ambitious cycle. We deliberately pushed this out when we did in hopes of influencing the guidance for 2014. We don't expect the world to turn on a dime, but it's got to start turning soon or we'll continue to do things that don't make us more secure. And that's ultimately what this is about. There is nothing in this document, and I hope that this is how it would be taken, that would derail anything, for example, that the Department of Homeland Security is doing with their continuous monitoring. This is really trying to leverage it. The paper really tries to stress that you have to have a secure baseline in place to go forward before you do anything that's in here, that that's the key to success and that you have to really get that part of it evaluated and agreed upon so that you can then measure agencies' progress against that baseline. 
Well, thanks, Karen. Thanks, Frank. Always a pleasure, Eric. Thank you, Eric, for asking us. I've been speaking with Karen Evans and Franklin Reeder of SafeGov. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.